0: Where are the conditions for revolution? In the changing of attitudes or the external circumstances? That is the cardinal question that determines the relation of politics to morality and cannot be glossed over. Mistrust in the fate of literature, mistrust in the fate of freedom, mistrust in the fate of European humanity, but three times mistrust in all reconciliation between classes, between nations, and between individuals. An unlimited trust only in IG Farben and the peaceful perfection of the Air Force. But what now? what is next. Hello, and welcome to the Regattable Century. I'm Chris.
1: I'm
2: Kevin. I'm Jason.
1: And I'm Jenny.
0: And today we're doing something a little bit different. We actually received a uh, pretty well thought out and interesting comment slash question on our Patreon page that we thought warranted more than just a like thumbs up and a LOL. So we're going to go ahead and... Um, sort of try to, try to tackle this and we're going to keep this as like sort of a free-flowing discussion and just kind of answer it the way we would in a conversation because I think that one of the things that people might have noticed about us is that we don't really have a firm set of deeply held opinions on everything and we kind of work them out on air. So I think that we might be doing a little bit of that today. So, we're not going to call the comrade out who uh, posted this, just in case. We don't want to dox anybody. This is a um, call
1: in, after all.
0: Right. That's right. No. Okay, so here we go. From the past episodes about revolutionary pessimism, it seems to me that y'all are advocating for an optimism of the will slash pessimism of the intellect, rather than a pessim of both intellect and will. As Marxists and as a movement that envisions a society that materially and culturally encourages the free self-development of human beings, we should act as if an emancipatory politics can lead to socio-economic revolutions that bring about that vision, Marxist Pascal's wager. Yet we shouldn't become so deluded as to not recognize what, when the march of history is practically a death march. Failures are heartbreaking. Failures aren't always just temporary setbacks. Grieving and mourning and melancholia are necessary and vital components of self-reflection, theorizing and practical reformulations of this emancipatory politics. I hope I've understood and summarized this position correctly, albeit briefly. I think so. I think so too. I think so as well. And I think that the comrades probably right when they say that the optimism of the will slash pessimism, pessimism of the intellect rather than a pessimism of both intellect and will. I mean, I think that the title we used was more pithy than anything else. It's, um, but it, I, I would say that that's probably the what we're operating under.
2: I, like, I think we were kind of utilizing a method um, sometimes known as rocking the zhige, where you say something that's a little bit more uh, bombastic and a little bit more extreme than you actually mean. Maybe, yes. maybe um,
3: bending the stick, you, you yeah. might, one might say.
2: <laughs> but... Um,
3: but I
1: don't, uh, I don't think the, anyone actually I, says rock in the cheese, you I definitely <laughs> well, not, don't say that not with that kind
2: of attitude. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin definitely says rock in the cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing about it is that, uh, I think, uh, I thought it was, it, it was an interesting thing to point out because I think it's true, but I also think, um, sometimes it's actually not intentional. I think we vary, uh, across the four of us as to the degree of our, um, pessimism of the will, um, for example, Kevin, you just came back from doing some political work. You know, you feel pretty good about it too. Yeah, I think we have days where it's um, more, you know, whatever. It's it, we go we go back and forth.
0: Yeah, I mean, what? like Jesus lives in our hearts, and we can't get him <laughs> out as as hard as we try. You know.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, I mean, that's a really good good way to put it. Well, I I, I don't know, Jason. I I think uh, I I think you're part part of what you're saying is accurate that we we, va- we we have and we do we vacillate sort of as individuals and then across you know but uh between the four of us among the four of us we we sort of occupy different spaces as individuals and then but then also uh as individuals we we sort of vacillate somewhat from from moment to moment based on on um, uh how inspired we may feel at a given moment how 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 much our uh, uh our wills are committed to uh, an optimism versus a pessimism or, uh, or or anywhere in between but that said i so i think that vacillation really is the thing that this this comrade is pinpointing more so than uh, a firm optimism of the will and pessimism of the intellect i think there is uh, so a base level commitment that, we're, that ha- has to be at least acknowledged, if not embraced that uh, that, that uh, a pessim of the in- pessimism of the intellect commits you to a, a certain degree of pessimism of the will that, that says that I, I recognize the futility of trying to such a degree that the, that trying no longer is even an option. I
0: think that we would be idiots if our pessimism and optimism didn't wax and wane according to whatever it was that we were engaged with at the time, you know? And That's sort of the way I like to think that I am. I, I, I think that I'd like to... I would like to say that I adapt to situations accordingly, you know? That I'm not so tied to one method of thinking that I am unable to recognize a change in terrain when it presents itself. But... uh I also think that we are very much so dyed-in-the-wool Marxists and revolutionaries and uh, some stripe of either Leninist or post-Leninist at this point. So it's it's deeply ingrained in us a belief in the possibility of revolution and of the self-emancipation of the proletariat. So as pessimism as we want to be, we still have that underlying belief and faith.
3: Yeah, Jesus lives in our hearts
0: all right so and uh, the comrade continues my only question is doesn't this bum people the fuck out <laughs> as an attitude and perspective at what point can a revolutionary pessimism or as I've per- as I've perhaps mistakenly put it, a pessimism of the int- intellect stymie slash poison, and optimism of the will.
2: So, um, short answer, yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> it does bum people the fuck out.
3: <laughs> but I I think that's kind of the point though, right? That's Part of, at, at least from where I sit, that's uh, the perspective that I'm, I'm taking to this, is that's kind of the point. That's kind of what we're trying to accomplish, is you should be bummed out. This uh, this sucks. We're in a really bad position, and you should stop trying to bang your head against a wall that's not going to fucking move.
1: Yeah, I agree yeah. to disagree on this one. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily trying to bum people out uh but i i do know that <laughs> that like that going in that's my objective but i do know that um like revolutionary optimism has resulted in like very long term uh bumness and uh that that feels so much worse so you know i don't know if this is a coping me- mechanism for me uh you know, like I said, I'm I'm here to kind of talk through thoughts and feelings, which I know like is what we do in general. But especially today, more than usually, uh, I, I'm I'm grappling with this question. So I really appreciate it because I, I don't know other than yes. Short answer.
3: So so, so maybe um, it so- sounds like maybe what you're saying, Jenny, is that uh, it, the, the purpose isn't to. Uh, uh, we're we're not striving necessarily to bum people the fuck out but rather that we're uh that we need people to recognize that we we've are com- being confronted with a bummer of a situation Sure. Uh, uh and so maybe leaning a little bit heavier on the pessimism of the intellect but optimism of the will uh yeah. half of the equation
1: and that it, it's not inevitably up up in a way each time something you know, goes in our favor each time we win something, right? Um, and just like gaining a sense of perspective and proportion. And so, again, if that is, if that's your shit, if that's what you're on right now is like bumming people out as a like organizing tool or um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, um, then I, we know how it goes. Um, but yeah, for me, I, you know, I don't actually, I'm not entirely sure. Like I said, I I know for sure, at least in part, it is um, kind of a coping mechanism to get me through, you know, this moment we're in.
0: Well, I kind of don't think that anything we do on the show is really like trying to come up with organizing tools so much as it is just trying to grapple with like gigantic problems and reconcile our continued belief in the you know, the the Marxist project with the gigantic problems that would seem to suggest to us that there is no solution. That's kind of the way I see it, right? Like what I, the, all the things that I say on here might not be very good at all for helping anyone convince anyone else of anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, that's not what I'm going for. Uh, what I'm going for is just trying to understand and basically right. this and be like honest, a, yeah, yeah, this is like a essentially a study group that we record, you know it's not a propaganda project, um if it helps other people like either come up with the reasons why they disagree with us or agree with us, then that's great, but I mean, this is really just me thinking out loud. And I assume that that's what it is for you guys as well. Every once in a while, I come into a podcast with a well-formed opinion and am able to, you know, elucidate my thoughts clearly. But most of the time, it's just me going, well, I don't know, I kind of think that maybe this, you know, and that's about it. That and, was a
2: really good impression of you that you just did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
0: I'm good with voices. <laughs> wow. Um, But I was going to say that... um. I don't think that this really bums me out. Maybe it bums other people out, but for me, not having to f- fake optimism is yeah. very mm-hmm. fucking relieving. Absolutely. So, like, this
3: is a thing that I have I've sort of I've had conversations with uh close friends about like the appeal of uh certain kinds of uh uh of li- like really dark music and uh uh intense horrifying horror movies. These sorts of things. The part of the appeal of those that's that these this kind of uh, cultural product for me is that um, having uh, an in an internal state that I am incapable of articulating, having that sort of put in front of me and directed toward an audience is uh, it's relieving it's it's satisfying it allows me to feel connected to other people and it allows me to feel uh, a lot less isolated and um uh disconnected from the world around me because i i I, i'm able to see that like oh it's not just me uh there are other people going through this as well who are experiencing the sort of same sort of thing that i am and i'm able to sort of deal with it it's like jenny was saying it's a sort of coping mechanism to be able to to reconcile my uh the intensity of my internal state with uh the world that outside of me that seems so incredibly incongruent with it it's cathartic
0: yeah it is and it's just heartening to know that there are other people out there that feel the same way that i do and like tell me about it they're like i listen to your show and or podcast or whatever the fuck we have it it really just sort of vocalized a lot of things that I've been feeling and thinking.
2: Now there um I, I pulled up an old Zcom com article from like the Arab Spring period, or at least the period whenever people were still excited about the Arab Spring. And I don't know anything about the author, um and I don't know if it's worth putting in the show notes or whatever, but I wanted to um I I'll read do it, it I read it um in, in sort of preparation for trying to answer this question. And some of it I thought I thought was worth like quoting, you know. Uh, specifically this part where he says um where the author says pessimism of the intellect as a principle can be as distortive in its way as wishful thinking. It is as irrational to deny possibilities to foreclose developments as it is to imagine they exist when they do not so I thought that was really useful to sort of like yeah to try to um the whole article's useful to read yeah. but it, but yeah. it's he it warns uh, he talks about Gramsci warning against um because, you know, that's where the pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will is popularized by Gramsci, even though Gramsci attributes it to uh, Romain Rollard But uh, he uses it over and over again. But Gramsci warns against a sort of form of self-protective disillusionment that is, uh, you know, it seems to be designed to, uh, to to keep one from investing any anything in immediate or medium-term hopes. Um, and I have to say, like, that is actually... Uh, that's an internal struggle for me, anyways.
1: If you oh, yeah. want one more thing to make you feel pessimistic, did you know that Budajeg, his dad, uh, translated prison notebooks?
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, geez.
0: his his dad is a is a scholar.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Didn't I say something about like three of the issues. candidates had Marxist parents? The three of the D- Democratic Party candidates who are all like centrist uh, uh, in the primary uh, had Marxist Mala parents. Harris,
1: too Who else then?
3: There, there was another one. It was Harris, Buttigieg, and, and then another per- one had, had uh, le- you know, radical parents.
2: Well, so the, so the lesson there is if you're a radical, don't have kids.
1: <laughs> no. The lesson yeah. is work through your daddy issues.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine, like, being Buttigieg's parents? Just being like, wow, this fucking little twerp. Yeah. <laughs>
1: this ingrate.
3: Is he still so- alive? Buttigieg? This, but, no, his so. dad.
0: Well, I mean, he's Judge too. I,
3: the candidate is dad who translated uh, prison notebooks. No idea. I just realized that the reason why
2: people say Mayor Pete is because everybody's afraid to say Buttigieg's. Yeah. <laughs> Buttigieg's. Um, But <laughs> on the subject. I'm sorry. Of the self-protective disillusionment, that is a thing, uh, you know, they're there have been people who uh, have listened to our podcast and who have said to me that it's sometimes at least at least for me it, uh, that it, it comes across like uh, the same way that when somebody's gone through like a number of bad relationships and they're like oh you know I'm swearing off relationships it's like uh, that it seems almost like, um, like like it's a defensive mechanism rather than a really truly held belief or um, or even really a fully thought through um, set of uh, Ideas, and this is, I guess, just by way of admission. Like, yeah, that's yeah probably true. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Yeah, the the point here for me, anyways, is to try to uh, um to not go full nihilist by trying to trying to think through things. Um, you know, with all of you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, how can you go through a decade of hyperactive hyperactivity that culminates in the Trump presidency? And not just be like, I mean, maybe maybe I've got a reason to be pessimistic. I I don't know. I just...
1: Yeah, you have to be able to, to say the things that you're thinking and feeling out loud. Um, and if that means talking to your friends and letting other people listen in on that, and if that means changing your mind in the process or eventually, that's what that means. And that's okay. But... I mean, I guess people think because it's a bummer that we shouldn't say it out loud. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I beg to differ. Which is not to say that, like, if I'm, you know, what <laughs> can you guys hear Justice snoring? Do I need yes,
3: it? we sure can hear your dog snoring. Okay, yeah. let,
1: me, let me finish what I'm saying, and then I'll move him to the other room. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily go into... Um, like a community organizing meeting where we're like strategizing and lead with, well, this is why everything's shit. Um, but and this seems like a good space to do that um, because I know that you all know me and know where I'm coming from and know that my dog is a total sweetie and he he's having very sweet dreams right now yeah and it sounds um, like a whale yeah i'm gonna move him out Aww. he's so tired he's old all
0: right have oh god i guess well, he is old
1: yeah he's he's like in his 70s in dog years Aww. it's sad i'm sorry i know hold on
3: Well, okay, uh, to, to go back to what uh, you were just saying, Jason was um I, I think an important note to to strike uh, uh or, or or a note that strikes that uh, resonates with me uh is it, part of what we were discussing in the last episode of um uh Benjamin's organization of pessimism where Part of how he's defining that is he's talking about we need to uh, we need people who rec- who aren't deluded into thinking that if we just do X Y Z then we will realize a utopian vision of the world and everyone will live in harmony and peace and everything will be good and we will be able to sort of you know realize the true potential of the human spirit etc. But rather human beings who who recognize that the alternative to doing something is the realization of the absolute worst nightmares that we could possibly conjure up in our human psyches. And he was right. He was right. The nightmares that we try to delude ourselves are not possible came true in his life. And I think we need to all commit ourselves to that kind of a, 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 um, of a mental state of recognizing that the next Holocaust uh, uh, and the next world war is going to become a reality if we don't do something about it. And not that... Uh, We have to sort of moderate our positions in order to uh, be pragmatic and realistic, but rather recognizing that the only way to confront that reality is to fight for a radically fundamentally altered world that we operate in that no longer gives rise to the, the possibilities of fascism, but not a delusional commitment to the idea that that is that that reality, that better world is within our grasp if we just you know reach out for it
2: right which is which is to say we we don't get to just will it into existence the uh the the question that i i'm not sure if we exactly answered yet um says at what point can a revolutionary pessimism stymie or poison an optimism of the will and uh i don't think i know the answer to that but i think that um i think that it has more to do let's say for me it has more to do with um events than my own internal reserves of willpower and hope or whatever um because you know since we're since we're reading and quoting gramsci um my favorite gramsci is a very short essay called real dialectics it's just the first couple of lines he says that events are the real dialectics of history they transcend all arguments, all personal judgments, all vague and irresponsible wishes. Um, and, you know, like the things that we're pessimistic about are, are things which we're observing and interacting with in the, in the real material world. Um, and uh, I look very forward to the possibility, however dim, uh, of events which will transcend my vague and irresponsible uh, pessimism right like i would like to see events uh, outpace what it is i've been able to observe and the way i've internalized them so far and i guess that's an important thing is that you know even if we can't answer the question so clearly as this is when it stymies or can stymie an optimism of the will maybe it's more important to just acknowledge that as a possibility and uh you
3: know consciously seek to keep that from happening
0: so it's like it's kind of a hard thing to parse really.
3: It is and that gives gives rise to the situation that this this comrade is uh sort of articulating which is that uh, we're in some murky waters, we're in some um gray territory that's that we, there are no bright lines that I don't I I don't think I don't think I think that that's what this comrade is identifying is is the absence of bright lines that we can sort of set and say clearly Here's where we know to not cross. Um, I'm not sure that those such such a bright line even exists, but um, uh, so kind of like what Jason was saying, I I think uh, I think what Jason was saying was correct that uh, I'm not sure. I know where that line is between a useful revolutionary pessimism and a true nihilism, I know that a true nihilism is something to be avoided, uh, and I know that a delusional optimism um, is also something to be avoided. Uh, and I think this this what we're trying to do right here with these conversations that we have and record and then share with people is try to swim in these murky waters and try to find uh, the the right position to take
0: he says i was listening to the most recent episode of symptomatic redness where the guest described an almost church-like euphoria during a dsa meeting where the speaker repeated the slogan when we fight we win to the point where the congregation chanted alongside her and stood up in solidarity Aren't these kind of experiences and energies vital to any political movement? Short answer? Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah, sure. Short answer is yes. These kinds of energies and experiences are vital to any kind of political movement. Um, And I wouldn't ever want to, like, consciously discourage such a thing. If anything, I I would... like to see more of the opposite, right? Uh, I'd like to see more encouraging of like this kind of participatory model of, you know uh, th- th- let's say this more participatory vision of what a, a left wing gathering uh, can can look like and can be. I actually used to have this conversation with comrades back in my Trotskyism days. About how much it is that the left, uh, how much there is that the left can learn from religious communities, especially kind of like, you know, revival, evangelical religious communities about, you know, precisely that, that kind of thing. You know, th- to me, the comparison to the congregation, to the church, um, the sort of ecstatic, euphoric experience is a, it's a very good one, right? Mm-hmm. The trick, I think, is for us to not have our uh, political lives overdetermined by the desire to experience, uh, you know, this sort of quasi-religious ecstasy in defiance of events themselves, right? It's not necessarily the case that when we fight, we win. I can certainly see why we would want to chant such a thing in a moment when we have just won or when we feel like we're on the verge of victory, you know, there's a certain utility to that. But it's not a slogan for all times, yeah, for exactly. every moment, for every day, yeah. for well, every meeting.
1: sure. But, like, I mean, that's why there's a difference between chants and slogans and, like, creating a path forward. Um, and, I mean, those things just aren't the same. They they have, you know, chants and slogans are useful in certain in- instances. But you don't build, <laughs> you know, uh, you don't build a movement on those things alone. Right, mm-hmm. um, and without a, a deeper analysis of where we're actually at, um, we're gonna be really disappointed when we fight and we lose.
3: Mm-hmm. Exactly, I think it's I think it's like yeah, I think you can do a a, a a sort of comparison to like you know those uh, ho- those movies that Hollywood makes every you know every couple of months where there's some big battle sequence and the commander of the troops is giving some rallying like speech to the troops to get them riled up before they go into battle. There are certain times and certain occasions when that speech that he, that the, the the commander gives is one that's like give it your all and we're going to win because uh because we're all just like uh we're we're on the precipice of victory and if we just give it our all we can win uh to victory or whatever. Uh, there are other battles where every fucking soldier on that field knows full fucking well that this was a lost cause, but their efforts are not in vain. And that if you have that rallying cry that uh, that just totally is unrelated to what every person on that field knows to be true, that's not going to be very rallying.
0: So it's right. like when... Uh the Yugoslav partisans were being hanged and, uh, uh shit, I forget his name. He uh, stands up and says, uh, like, smirt fascismus svovodulidus, like, death to fascism, freedom for the people. While, as he's about to die. Yeah. Um the, the Yugoslav partisans got their asses kicked up and down the Balkans for almost the entirety of the war until the very end and eventually won. But always held that like the the commitment to killing as many fascists as they could on the way down that's the kind of optimism i can get behind yeah yeah (laughs) well
2: well we said it um in a in a previous episode somewhere back that what we're what we're trying to sort of embody is the kind of the fighting the mentality of the ghetto fighter um you know in occupied europe which is precisely what you you just said chris i mean the the partisan or the, it's, it's, it's similar, right? It's more about, you know, sometimes anyways, it's about just the necessity, um, by sheer virtue of the fact that you exist, um, of, you know, whatever, grim defiance. And sometimes uh, it's, it's just that an acknowledgement of that, if only even just as a, as a possibility, sometimes an acknowledgement of that is, is important for people. um, Whether it bums people out or not, it's important that we don't um, do what I, what I think I see happening um, with this, with this current left, we raise up a generation of new leftists without ever having a conversation uh, about defeat, you know, Um, and about the retreats and steps backwards and periods of, of like lull and where, you know, sometimes there is literally just nothing that can be done. And that's when you fortif- fortify yourselves and, and retrain and regroup. And mm-hmm. no, those are not rallying cries. They're not slogans. Um, those are not like recruitment tools, but they are necessary for um, long term commitments of people uh, as individuals and, and as, a, as an amalgamated you know, collection of individuals that we are able to live through the ups and downs and be be let's say ready for the ups because we were capable of weathering the downs the concern is to me is less about bumming people out to the point of uh you know somehow somehow accidentally conveying that people should just give up and drop out and spend all day you know uh numbing the pain or whatever My concern is more never acknowledging that um, those inevitable defeats and and burning, burning out a generation, you know, because because absolutely they will come up against, you know, horrifying defeats, especially the the closer to victory that they get.
0: Perhaps a revolutionary pessimism and this kind of energy aren't mutually exclusive, but it does seem that they are in tension with one another, potentially undercutting the benefits of one another. I guess that was kind of part of the last well
3: i well i well I think the tension that the the comrade identifies is uh, to put it in other terms one might say it's dialectical
2: it it might yeah. it might very well be i mean i think yes, there's definitely a tension between the two um and what the product of that tension might be I think is a little bit unclear still. Um,
0: Well, it's sort of like like I was saying that with the the whole Marxist-Pascal's wager thing where there's that underlying commitment that exists regardless of your belief in the immediate prospects of the project, you know? And you have to try to reconcile that with the idea that maybe nothing good is ever going to happen (laughs) and weigh your chances for accomplishing something against the risks at all times and then also weigh the risks of an action against the i mean weigh. i mean it's it's a constant weighing of one side against the other do you act or do you sit back and think about things and talk about things So what we've always done on the American left is act without thinking, I think, or without thinking enough, without talking enough, without theorizing enough. We've always acted. And those that are talking and thinking and theorizing aren't acting. And I think that a revolutionary pessimism is an attempt to reconcile the thinking and talking and theorizing with the acting, temper sort of the worst excesses of both. I don't know.
2: I'm prepared to endorse that. Cosigned. Yeah. Backed.
0: I would love some thoughts on how you can square a revolutionary pessimism with the ineffable experiences of the human condition that expire optimism, hope, and a feeling of unity that y'all discussed in your Gothic Marxism episodes. After all, a lot of people never recover from death, from the death of their loved ones. Seeing the coffin often destroys them.
3: I've, I absolutely, I adore this metaphor um, that they uh, they use here as a conclusion, a cl- conclusory uh, statement. Um, seeing the coffin often destroys them. I think that that is absolutely true. I think part of what destroys a person seeing their beloved as a corpse is their inability, their, their psychological inability to engage with the inevitability of death before that reality of death confronts them. I think what destroys a person is being incapable of confronting the fact that we are all sacks of meat uh, that are going to dissolve at some point, that our consciousness has a terminal date and um, having death uh, wreck into our lives uh, when we're going through our lives in that condition, refusing to confront that reality yet it makes itself reality, can be incredibly destructive. And I think that that's kind kind of what I'm getting at, I think, uh, is that we all need to remember death, memento mori, that death is inevitable, it is a reality, and we need to incorporate that into how we conduct our lives so that when we see our beloved in the coffin as corpses, it doesn't destroy us.
1: I mean, so I appreciate this, but I also, um, you know, I, so when my, my maternal grandfather died, I, um, you know, my family's Catholic, so everything's open casket all the time because Catholics (laughs) have a really weird relationship with death, especially. Yeah. Memento (laughs) Mori, especially Mexican ones. Um, and it, it really did destroy me. Um, and it took me a while to, to come back from that When When my grandmother died, um, I refused to go into the room, um, when she was passing because my last memory of her was her asking me if, um, if she wanted me to, to cook, if she, if I wanted her to cook me anything and I needed to remember her like that. And I also didn't go up to her casket, you know, um, so I don't know what that says about me. And I don't know if this is an answer in terms of, you know, us as leftists, right? Because I, I I, do have the ability to say, hey, it, this is what's best for me in this moment in order to cope with the loss of two people who are really, really instrumental um, in, like, my becoming who I am and who I love and miss very much. Um, I don't know that... that and I think to some extent, definitely, and on the the last episode we talked about that, like, doing what we need to do to, like, mourn and grieve and go on. But I, I don't think that, you know, we really have the, the privilege to just, like, not see certain things, especially stuff like police brutality because it's daily, you know. Um, it's regular. It's weekly, you know. Um, so I don't know that we can shut ourselves off to that and say that's what we need to do to, like, feel okay Um, so I guess I'm just saying I don't I don't know that it's you know I appreciate it and I I understand its usefulness in trying to figure this out Um, but I I think it's hard for me to strike a balance um, between taking care of myself uh, personally so that I am useful politically and also um, you know not desensitizing myself Um, to the the things that motivated me to to be a leftist to begin with.
2: One of the things that I really appreciate about this question is how much it has done to help clarify the terms that we are basically constantly um, trying to sharpen. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love the way that pessimism of the intellect um, has been sort of re-reframed and deepened as revolutionary pessimism, or, or, or rather that the that the connection between the two um, has been drawn out so clearly, and similarly that optimism of the will, you know, let's let's say tied so strongly to the themes in the gothic themes that we have tried to explore as well, um, so that what we're really talking about is the tension between our revolutionary pessimism and our gothic Marxism, and I don't know if we ever achieve balance. Um, I don't know how to square the one with the other. I think that they're both necessary. I think that they're both, I think it's maybe it's more to, for me about where it is um, that we locate the sources of our pessimism and the sources of our optimism. Um, and in both cases, right, they're in experience. Um, these experiences of the human condition that inspire optimism, hope, and feeling of unity that we've discussed. And the experiences of dread and horror and, and terror um, that come, you know, from living in a class society and a violent, um, a brutally violent one at that—they're both a matter of honest and open-minded, open-hearted engagement with the real world. And I think that what we have. Found ourselves trying to resist is the inherited legacy of finding both our intellectual. Let's say we've been trying to prior to this, you know, uh, what we've been trying to resist is the legacy of of filling the intellectual and uh, and the will purely in the realm of, of the abstract, just in just in in the realm of theory. Wow, talk about thinking out loud.
0: Well, I'm going to think out loud at you guys real quick.
1: Uh, with us,
0: so. I think that the question that Camus poses about the only the one serious philosophical problem being suicide and that is deciding whether or not life is worth living is the fundamental question of philosophy. All other questions follow that so should I kill myself And so for us trying to trying to come up with a philosophy for whether or not we should you know, politically just drop the fuck out and not even try to do anything or whether or not we should continue on. I mean, I think the answer is clear. It's just you continue on in the face of the absurdity of continuing on. When it, like, makes no sense to even try because it looks as though the odds are completely stacked against you you do it because it is an act of defiance and that is all that can be done um and i think that that's that's the way i i think of that philosophical problem with life like there might be no reason to live right but you just live because you have to just as an act of defiance because fuck you
2: that's
4: why
0: (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs)